Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of 2021 of the Eric and Ryan Show. It's nice to be with you all again. And today we're going to be talking about a few inquiries that we got in over the last week um, and just our, our shoot from the hip answers to the number one inquiry, which I think is really regarding where we are in terms of valuation for the stock market. And I think I counted 11 emails about asking for my opinion on, um, on, on the state of the market and whether or not we're in a bubble and what a bubble means and, and how do I, uh, what, what my worldview on this bubble is, if there is a bubble. So we're going to distill all of that and answer, um, answer that question because I think it might be on a lot of people's minds. And, um, you know, of course, we always welcome your questions, but, um, you know, this seems to be a big one. Uh, Ryan's with me, of course, as always. And uh, maybe, Ryan, before we begin, I, I, I think we should maybe start with the Jeremy Grantham piece, which is what has been forwarded to me quite a few times. Um, so uh, d- is that the one? Do you want to begin with that one, Ryan, or should we start with Sure. Else? You want me to pull that article up? Yeah. Why don't you pull the article up? Um, so Jeremy Grantham, for those who don't know, is... Um, he is a investment manager at uh, GMO, which is uh, a money management firm and a research outfit. Um, and basically, last week, you know, he's a pretty shrewd guy, very smart guy. And basically, um, uh, last week, he put out a paper that basically said that the Biden administration stimulus plan proposal of $1.9 trillion will only further. Uh, uh, increase the equity asset bubble that we are in, leading to quite a bit of pain for investors down down the road. And that that was basically the the biggest component of his of his article. But he sees um, that money instead of going into spending and 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 the economy, it going into the stock market. Um, I believe he used the word. It'll be the last desperate chips being placed on the gambling board um, before we see this this tremendous crash. So that that was the headline. That was what was forward to me uh, from several clients in the last few days. And I did respond individually to folks, but um, you know we did want to we did want to address it. So Ryan, I have my own opinion on it. Did you want to say something first? Yeah, I think I think the one thing we talked about over July when there were different headlines worrisome headlines about COVID-19 was that remember the 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 reason you you read the article or the reason it catches you is it's not because um it's not for a lack of trying on whoever wrote the the articles uh of mine so uh, Eric and I could sit here and say yeah we might pull back five percent and you guys all of our clients are going to sit here and say oh five percent it's due for a five percent correction but when numbers like 30 70 I've seen 92 start getting thrown around well then they they grab attention right um, so and, and the one thing I think we always say and and an old adage in in the investment world is um, timing the market is not something you want to get into, right? Or time in the market is more important than timing the market. Uh, there's a reason that nobody has ever really proven to be a market timer. And that's because people um, like Jeremy Grantham, who believe we're in the biggest bubble, probably has taken some exposure off the table or 
what have you since since March, and he missed out on a on a historic rise in the market or a historic rebound, right? The other thing, or the other piece was the David Tice piece, Eric, that, that we want to talk about. And he talked about a 30% drawdown uh, over a two-year period. Um, and again, I think that 30 is a, is a pretty big number. Um, and, and David Tice was all about, uh, you know, his, his was mainly about po- uh, political policy, right? And um, uh, David Tice is down 30% on the year. So these people that are making big calls and saying that we're going to crash or they're, they're either missing out on upside or they're uh, missing out on return in, in the short term. Some have been missing out on returns for the long term. Long story short, um, time in is more important than timing. Timing doesn't always work or has proven to be a very ineffective way to make money. And uh, the uh, exorbitant or the the loud language is there to just scare people and, and hopefully it turns his bets positive, right? Right. And I think a lot of these articles that we've seen, um, you know, the Jeremy Grantham piece uh, goes on for a while, and in the very last sentence, and this is very similar to what we talked about last year, is you grab someone's attention with an outlandish look. I don't, I don't think he was outlandish. I think he has a lot of salient points in his piece, but you grab someone's attention <clears throat> with a word like bubble or a word word like crash, people will read it. I mean, there's no reason, there's no other reason why this was forwarded to me several times, is because it grabbed people's attention. But then in the last paragraph, very much like we were talking about last year with regard to just news in general, how it seems like right now all news is, uh, here's a headline to make you read it. And then in, in later paragraphs, um, there, there's this distilling effect, this, uh, this, this calming effect, uh, or like a, I call it a but paragraph, you know, despite all the bad news above, but there is this, uh, you know, better, uh, piece of news that we're burying here in the article. Uh, we see this all the time with COVID, right? So you read a COVID article, um, many COVID patients <clears throat> um, experiencing XYZ. And the article may, might reference, you know, a handful of patients. And then later on, uh, talk about why, you know, a bunch of people are doing okay <laughs> post COVID. Or you see it with these variants, right? This attention grabbing headline around variants. Um, and then later on in an article, well, the Moderna drug will likely work against it, right? So Jeremy Grantham's piece in the very last paragraph of, of it, he says his, his three or four favorite areas are emerging markets, probably because of their valuation, inflation-protected uh, sectors, um, and, and, sto- and, and stocks that have to do with the green initiatives that the Biden administration is favoring. So you know, it's, it's to me very funny that you would call for a crash, you would call for a bubble, but you still like inflation sectors. So inflation sectors could be, I think there's like four of the S&P 500 sectors, four of the eight S&P sectors are basically positive for inflation protection. So he likes almost half or more than half of the sectors that protect you from inflation. Um, emerging markets. Okay. So I get it because of valuation. And the green initiatives, well, green initiatives can span multiple different types of industries. I mean, that might even include uh, Tesla, right? So I, I understand what he's writing about. I get it. But I think we also have to remember that the, the market is a very bifurcated 
thing. The market is made up of five, the stock market, the S&P 500 is made up of 500 stocks. And if you pay very close attention to that composition, yes, you can find things that are overvalued and extraordinarily uh, extended, but you can also find things that are very cheap and very attractive. And I, and I think that's the number one thing in conjunction with what you're saying, Ryan, time in the market. You can time in the market as long as you're in the right areas, you will do okay. And Ryan and I, uh, I've been doing this longer than Ryan, but I have never been successful at timing the market. I've, I've attempted to take some chips off the table when things are extended. I've attempted to get back in when things are cheap, but we will never capture that moment perfectly when it's time to get out or time to get back in. You have to, uh, uh, you know, be right twice. And so we think it's better to just stay the course position properly. That's the key thing, positioning properly. And then once you have that proper positioning, then you can make adjustments from within there. So I think our overall narrative for 2021 is quite strong. I would agree with a lot of the comments we're seeing from some of these folks, but I think that the headline itself is what's unnerving folks and not the actual substance of their of their thinking. I mean, for him to still like inflation sectors would, would mean he still likes half of the market. <laughs> Right. And inflation, again, it's a, that's the old, the old saying, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Well, inflation is the ultimate tide, right? So as long as inflation is present, really every asset has to move at least with inflation because otherwise it's a negative return, right? But also, I think it's prudent to point out that just because stocks go up doesn't mean that they go down, no matter or regardless of how fast or slow this happens, right? So we're we're almost at a new bull market in this point because we had a bear market that interrupted what was the longest bull market of all time uh, in March, of course. And when you look at just the economic backdrop, you have to think about uh, where yields are and where earnings are going and really just the growth in the economy. So our economy is expected to post like a 6% gain, or I believe the consensus is four. I read something yesterday that was six. Um, that is, regardless of where it's coming from, that is very big growth, right? A 4% annualized yield on, on GDP is, is something we hadn't seen I believe, you know, the Trump administration thought that they could get to four. I think the highest they got on any one quarter was high threes. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. Um, four is is a big number. And you have to remember that even though the economy shrank last year, um, bull markets thrive on two things, access to cheap capital and uh, economic growth. So we have what could be or what is projected to be some of the best economic growth uh, really of recent memory, um, not going to say all time, and you have extremely cheap money. And the biggest difference I see out there today uh, when comparing it to past times is if you look at the, the yield of a 10-year bond, even in the depths of 2008, 2009, it always hovered above 2%. Uh, it's been 3 percent or so for a very long time as far as i can remember it's been above three um right now the 30-year bond is lower than three so the 
expectation for future rates is very low. So when you do all of these economic uh, uh, calculations and reshufflings, and uh, some people like to use that Schiller Cape, uh, which is the the economist, uh, the economist, uh, I believe Robert Schiller, cyclically yeah, adjusted, um, adjusted PE ratio, right? When you look at that and you factor in things like a treasury yield that's expected to maybe be 1.5% at the end of this year and and maybe 2% by 2023, you're looking at, again, extremely cheap money. And uh, one of our 2020 themes that didn't pan out was lack of alternatives. But I think you're seeing, what I think you're seeing today is, is that theme play out in 2021 where I mean, there is really nowhere to put your money other than stocks. And people say, well, that's what fuels bubbles. So be it if you want to take that argument. But you have to adjust things for you can't look at numbers and just make assumptions. You have to adjust when you adjust the numbers. It really isn't as absurd as people think. Now, that's not to say there aren't very uh, the word is not even frothy anymore. There's not overextended parts of the market and we're well aware of them. But I think it's a good thing that GameStop is up. Uh, 2,500% and not Apple because uh, GameStop's Im- impact on the market is much less than Apple's, right? Uh, and then right. I saw another interesting stat, just one last stat. You know me, Eric, I'm a stat guy. Uh, the average, uh, where is it? The average performance of any of a, of a commodity or a stock or any anything that that's a bubble technology stocks in 2000 housing in 07 i'm sorry in 07 um silver in 1970 japan real estate in 1980 even the uh south sea bubble in 1720 the average move in the stock from its low to its high or the asset is 1400 percent we're far we're we're a far way away from bubble like numbers I would agree. And, and I would, I, I've said this analogy to you before, you know, if you think about mold, you know, mold in your home, you want it to be in one room. You don't want it to be all over the house. And every time I look at the market, there is mold in one part of the house, but there is not mold in the entire house. So your example with GameStop is exactly what I'm talking about. We should be so lucky that GameStop is up 2,500%. Let, let there be a, a gambling orgy with stocks like GameStop. I am completely fine with it. Uh, Bitcoin, let there be a $100 billion bubble in Bitcoin. You know why? My clients aren't exposed to it. And if they were exposed to it, I would be making adjustments. But let the market continue to grind higher. Let the market continue to do what it's doing. The pockets that we don't feel are moldy should do very well. And, and we've talked a lot about the growth to value shift. We've talked a lot about um, our, our themes for 2021. I, I think one of the, the core, uh, w- one of the things we should feel very excited about is that we are not in stocks that are going up 2,500%. And if we were, we would be very likely to lose 90 something percent on, on the, on those moves lower. So I actually think you, you know, when you're in a bubble, you could be in a bubble and almost not call it a bubble 
if you're in the right things, right? You could be in the stock market and be completely away from the areas that are overvalued or speculative or frenzied. Um, and you could be in the stuff that is um, positioned well for the, the themes and narrative ahead. Um, you know, so I, I like to say it's not a bubble unless you want it to be, right? You could go buy GameStop right now. You could speculate on 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 GameStop options. You can speculate on AMC options. You can speculate on Bad Bath and Beyond options. You could buy the stock. You could you could speculate, but you'd be joining a bubble. Right now, we don't feel that we are in bubble type portfolios. Now, some of our clients want us to take on that drunken sailor uh, excessive risk uh, choices, but. Um, that's by design for those clients. For most of our clients that have left us, left it to us, I, I think we're positioned really well. And I, and I don't think, you know, much adjustment is needed. Um, also I found in my career, every time somebody is talking about a bubble or a crash or an imminent end of a, um, of a cycle, you, you tend not to get the imminent end immediately. It tends to be when you're not paying attention. And I think right now everyone is so attuned to the to valuation and to risk that it feels like something's about to pop. Uh, yeah, GameStop will probably go down 70%, <laughs> but none of you own it. <laughs> we don't own GameStop. Uh, and if you did, we'd be taking profits up 2,500%. So let, let that be the most important thing that I say today is it could be mold in your home, or there could be mold in the basement. You just want it in the basement. You don't want it everywhere. And and we do not see mold everywhere right now. I mean, is that a good analogy, Ryan? Yeah, I would say so. And and uh, just to add, since the election, the Russell 3000, which is, uh, I believe, the best performing index since the election, is up uh, right around 20%. The 50 most shorted stocks in the S&P 500 uh, Eric, do you want to take a guess for what they're up since November 4th? The 50 most shorted stocks since the election. Right. So the 50 stocks that investors hate the most and think are going to go down. 100%? Yes, yeah, 75%. So what you're seeing is is probably what's called a short squeeze where investors have to cover their shorts. You're seeing pockets of, or I call them armies of people from all over the internet buying stocks that um, people like Eric and I really wouldn't ever want to touch. Um, and that's what's causing this increased rhetoric around uh, the stock market and its valuations. And again, I, I think two things, Eric, you touched on it, but uh, we like to hammer this away. The market knows that GameStop's up 2,500%. Uh, the market didn't know that there was a virus that was going to spread like wildfire. Uh, the market is not going to be caught by surprise because Apple trades at 25 times earnings or whatever the earnings multiple is uh, 40. today. 40, yeah. So this is all priced in. Um, and I think, uh, again, don't want to pound the table on the known unknowns or the unknown unknowns, but these are known knowns. Um, and uh, I think from probably the first investing book I ever read up until today, don't fight the tape. Um, and people like Jeremy Grantham, David Tice have been fighting the tape their whole lives and, uh, they've done well. They've had good individual successes, but, um, when you tr start trying to time the market and start thinking you're smarter than what the market's telling you, that's typically 
uh, where we found we've gotten in, in the most trouble in the past. And uh, that, that's all I'll, have, I'll say on that. Yeah, and I think it's also important to remember, you know, we're professional investors, Ryan, and, and as pros, uh, it's very easy for our clients, uh, you know, trying to, to empathize with my clients, it's very easy for our clients to to wonder how do we handle an environment where you're dealing with a bubble overvaluation or tremendous uncertainty. And and I would say we have, as professionals, tremendous tools. We have more tools that we know what to do with than uh, perhaps even similar-sized firms that... Um, you know, that exist in, in, in New York. And, and I think the, the tools in our tool belt, um, you know, the first tool I would say is incrementalism, meaning we don't need to take any drastic action today. We can, we can make one adjustment. We can sell one third of one third of a position or one third of one third of a sector. Or if we feel like we don't want to sell that position, we could write calls against that position, which we do often for many of you. Or if we're thinking about owning something, maybe we don't buy the thing today, but we sell a put against that thing. These are just tools that we've added over the years because it helps with risk management. It helps with uh, uh, position sizing. It helps with entry uh, and exit. And as long as as we stick to using those tools properly um, and professionally, I, I think we you know we can handle pretty much any environment. But first and foremost, we're incrementalist. We don't we don't take drastic action because David Tice says we're due for a crash, or because Jeremy Grantham put out a piece. We take drastic action when we believe that what we're seeing is breaking down, and 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 we will go ahead and do so. But you know, whether or not you're in a new bull market that started in March of last year, or you're in the eleventh or twelfth year of the post financial crisis market, staying the course has been probably one of the best things to do. And not getting too hung up around valuation and what somebody else is saying, especially somebody that doesn't know you, right? Somebody that doesn't know your goals and your time horizons and your risk tolerances. Also, somebody that probably may not even have those kinds of tools. I have no idea if Jeremy Grantham uses options in his in his products. Um, probably doesn't. And and if he does, great. But I I, I would always remind people that. You know, there's always things we can do if we feel we need to make adjustments, but none of these articles that we've read that, that we've come across that you've come across are unnerving and no, there is nothing we can't handle at the present time. Um, you know, we, and I would, I would even add Eric that we probably haven't even seen a spike in the amount of people making these crazy calls, right? Um, it's just more prevalent because, uh, of the recent events that we've been facing, right? That, if you turn on CB, CNBC and you watch it every single day, all five days, someone's on there making some sort of ludicrous call. Um, right. And yeah, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, and, and that's really how they go. That's how these people uh, go down and make make a name for themselves, right? One or two. Right. And there's no accountability, right? Like we 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 know first and foremost, we have accountability to you. So we're always going to act in your best interest when we feel we need to make an adjustment. But Jeremy Grantham, if you're just reading his article, uh, you, you you don't get to call him up and say you were wrong 10 months from now and and demand your money back, you know? We, we, there is no accountability. You you first of all, you could be somebody less important than Gen Jeremy Grantham and generate just as much buzz as he did and have even less accountability. Um, but, you know, we, we think that, that that that's another big problem that you get from the financial media is that you get these attention grabbers and then, and then there is no future follow-up. 
right? Even the Baron's Roundtable, <laughs> which I've read for years and years and years, does a lousy job of showing, uh, you know, they do show you what the Baron's pick for the last year was. These are the same people that come on Baron's Roundtable every single year. There is no follow-up to how some of those names did three years ago. How, how, how did the names from three or four or five years ago done? They've only given you the most recent year. So they have the same people back, and the only accountability you have is for the last 360 days. So this is exactly they're supposed, what, they're supposed to be long-term investors for the most and part. They're, and, and they're supposed to be less trading, more longer term. And we don't get any accountability unless you're tracking, uh, per, you know, you're personally tracking how they're doing um, for, for longer periods of time. You get the last year. So we would, I would emphasize we have the tools we have the ability to make adjustments and also we have accountability. So we're always going to try to act as, as close to the best, best interest of our clients as possible. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, um, that, that has come up, um, quite, quite a few times is we get the question, you know, what, when, when are those moments, you know, when will you make adjustments? And, you know, we have some things that it, it, I think the answer is it, it would depend. But I think right now, the thing that is probably got, you know, our lodestar to use a, a Mike Penceian ism, uh, our lodestar is probably the 10 year treasury yield, right? So if we start to see that jump to levels that are becoming uncomfortable, where transactional activity starts to dry up and starts to cause a freak out because yields are now higher, even though the Fed wants to keep them low, you know, that would probably be a reason for us to um, pump the brakes a little bit. If we start to see earnings erosion, I mean, Ryan, you're pretty good at, at some of the things we're looking for, but anything else you'd want to add? Um, yeah, my big, my big thing is, is the yields if, if companies have to start paying a little bit longer. And we're not talking short-term yields. Remember, it's all about future future earnings power future borrowing power so um and, and that's what gets lent at right so think of even your homes uh, to make it a little more tangible uh if you're going out and buying a a, a home and taking out a 30-year mortgage uh it doesn't matter what the fed has the the uh, the three-month rate at right or the the discount window at uh the only thing that matters is what the 30-year rate of the mortgages right um so my mortgage today is different than my mortgage in tomorrow potentially because of how the the, the yield curve goes so uh the big ones we're looking at the long end of the curve earnings i think the earnings have to fit the narrative right so the the idea of the growth to value um and and one caveat or one thing that i have said many times is that you can't let val uh, growth go too low because then it becomes very valuable. And the most recent example is Netflix. I mean, what a quarter from them. Everybody kind of pumped out a growth and said, let's buy value. And then they realized, oh, wait a second, Netflix is now cheap. Um, but if those cyclical sectors or, or those uh, economic sectors don't really give you what it is you're looking for, then, then yeah, you have to start making adjustments. And remember, we're, we're incrementalists. We're not, we're not going to make sweeping changes. We've I think every time we've made a big change or an overarching change to portfolios, in the end it works out, but in the short term it it, it doesn't. Uh, Eric, I know our 2019 cash raise uh, in October. Uh, you know we got it right if you look out six months. We got it wrong if you looked out four months. Um, so again, incrementalism. We're looking at all data. 
um, more data than than we'd like to admit. And um, I think that that's the best way to handle this market. And uh, I'm just going to leave us with one more stat on why we should stay in the market and why we can't try to time it. Uh, since 2016, 600 uh, since June 8th, the S&P is up 608 points. 601 of those points came overnight, meaning in the overnight futures markets. Only seven came during the day. From 1989 to 2016, no gains, no gains came from overnight. So again, it's a little bit different of a market. You have to stay in. There's a lot. A lot of different factors going into today's market that weren't alive in 2008, 2000, 2002, 87, um, even, even uh, well, I guess in, in March, yields went to, you know, the 30-year was almost under 1%. Uh, so we're in tune with the ever-changing dynamics of the market. We're doing our, we're, we're doing our best to stay on top of how the market's acting. Market dynamics are something that we've placed a huge emphasis on. And uh, I think the, the uh, if, you, if you just pay attention to some stats and, and some some of those kind of quirky things that you otherwise would overlook, it uh, gives you a good idea to, to, uh, to how you should you know, maintain positioning for your clients. Yep. All right. I think we're good. It's just about 28 right, minutes, Ryan. So uh, I'll read the spoken disclaimer and we'll... Um, you know, in the next few days, look out for our monthly letter, uh, which will be sent to everyone, and uh, we'll do another recording in the next two weeks or so. Uh, the investment commentary is limited to the dissemination of information pertaining to Pinnacle Associates and general market economic market conditions. Nothing contained herein should be construed as personalized advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and there is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this commentary will come to pass. Pinnacle is neither a law firm nor an accounting firm, and no portion of this commentary should be construed as legal or tax advice. You are advised to consult with separate legal or tax advisors with respect to any legal or tax advice. Pinnacle is an investment advisor registered with the SEC. For more information pertaining to the registration status of Pinnacle, please refer to the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about Pinnacle, including fees and services, you can request a written disclosure statement as set forth in Part ADV 2A. All right. That's it. And everybody, have a good week. Uh, We'll speak to you guys soon.